0: I try to be the best teammate I can. I've had my moments and uh, I think that it's just, it's important though. Cause you know, we're working together. We, we need each other in these, you know, in these moments and there's going, we're going through battles together. We're going through wars together. And it's important that we stick together and try to maintain a balance that we can, you know, both understand and, 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 and just put it all together. So everybody can win and that. Cause that's the, that's the goal. That's the ultimate mm-hmm. goal is that Mm -hmm. everybody wins.
1: That was professional basketball player Trevante Williams. He says that everything in his life started with the environment he grew up in, in East Anchorage. There was good and there was bad. However, at times the bad seemed to overshadow the good. His family and many other people he grew up around and even looked up to struggled with addiction and were in and out of prison. A few people took him out of that mindset, though, One was his mom. She always instilled in him a sense of his potential. Even throughout her own troubles, she made sure he knew he was loved and meant for better things. The other person was his grandmother. She was the most instrumental part of his life, Trevante says. Every moment he was around her, she made him feel at home. To this day, her love and her influence reminds him of all the work you need to put in to have anything that's worth having. His path to playing pro basketball has been one of perseverance, luck, and opportunity. He tells this story from his college days that encapsulates all of this. He was working at a 24-hour fitness, and he noticed these guys running the court during his lunch break, so he got in there and started showing everyone up. Meanwhile, a scout for San Francisco City Junior College was watching him. So afterwards, the scout approached Trevante and got his number. Six or seven months later, Trevante was offered a position on the team. For the last seven years, he's been living overseas and playing pro ball. He started his career in Scultubo, a city in the country of Georgia. Then he moved to Portugal, first playing for Olividens and then sporting to Portugal. He says that as a teammate, He has what he calls a dishwasher mindset. He likes to do the dirty jobs and he likes to work hard. That's his way of leading by example. He tries to connect with all of his teammates because at the end of the day, this is a job. And when one of them succeeds, they all succeed. So here he is, Trevante Williams. Welcome to Chattermarks, a
2: podcast of the Anchorage Museum dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the creative and critical thinking of ideas,
1: past, past present, and, and future. future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. You started your pro career in 2016 playing for Skaltuba in Georgia. Did I say that correctly?
0: Uh, yeah, I think I barely can say it. It's something like that.
1: <laughs> and for listeners, Georgia, the country in Southwestern Asia, not the state. And what's that place like?
0: It was uh we're talking about when did I play I played there five years, six years ago. So when uh we start there, it's um, it was very different, man. It was a <laughs> I don't even really know how to put it into words. I, I was so happy to be over there like, just traveling overseas and playing professional that I um, didn't even look up the place. I didn't even I didn't really care at that time. Um, but when I got there, it was uh it was very interesting, super small city. Um, I, I initially was in the capital in uh, Tbilisi, and I believe that, that I thought that was where I was going to be staying at, but then I took this drive on um, the next morning all the way to Tuscatubo and uh, yeah, it was a very interesting place, man. And, uh, they had some beautiful, um, what do they have, uh, water, uh, what do they have there? It was uh, something that was really cool that was very dope, like I did like a, uh, they gave me a massage and it was like in the water and they had, yeah, that's the best part about it, I think.
1: Yeah, I looked it up and Skoltubo is an old Soviet spa resort, you know, yeah, yeah. in the course of my, you know, research on you, you know, I'm looking up all these places that you've played for, I'm looking up your background, I'm listening to podcasts about you and this place just really stuck out to me because it's so unique and like this relic of the Soviet
0: era Man, you know what's crazy when I first got there I, I remember leaving the capital and getting there and like there were still buildings that were like like war torn like there were mm. it was there it was so I remember being there and you're like you're seeing cows and you're seeing animals walking down the streets and nobody's really like paying an eye to it uh yeah it was it was a special place actually now that I really think about it the people were very nice to me at the time and uh yeah, it, 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 was a, it was a great way to start the journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, like, what else was going through your head? You know, you are playing pro ball for the first time and entering your career, and then you're in this place.
0: My thoughts were, my thoughts, see, I'm a guy that kind of travels, I just do it, you know what I mean? I wasn't okay. really, I didn't get too caught up on the positioning of where I was, because like, before this, I... I had like went to uh Mount Edgecombe high school for for a year, mm-hmm. so I was already in the midst of just you know traveling doing things like spontaneous moves that's kind of like my identity to a certain extent mm-hmm. and um but getting there i I just didn't I didn't really have too many expectations, so nothing could really let me down but um I knew that I was on like a mission, and that's how I felt about the whole situation like I'm on a mission um I've been in worse before, so it really didn't uh the 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 environment didn't really play too much of a factor on me but overall over the time like i was there for 3 months and um you know you start to sit in you're sitting in the house all day but i found ways to kind of make it make it what it was
1: yeah you said that your identity is in a large part taking these spontaneous moves can you explain that a little more
0: well for me it's like Growing up in Alaska, man, there's, you don't, there wasn't too many options or the too many like things that I seen, like you had to go take it basically. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that I, I knew that there was opportunity, the opportunities that were available, I had to go, I had to say to myself, this is what I think is the best opportunity. And I know if I get there and do the right things, I can make something of it. So even leaving Alaska, my first first time going to college, I. I found my school on Google, and I just said, "You know what? These people like me. This is this guy responded to me. Okay, let's do it. Let's take it to him. Let's, let's mm-hmm. just go see what's happening." Yeah. And then I, I, being in California for three years, and then getting a, a, a scholarship to go play in Colorado, I say, I, "I don't know nothing about Colorado. Let's just go do it, man." Like yeah. So the whole time on this journey is just this no like this no fear based thing where whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen type of a deal, and I just kind of. I just roll. I just roll with the punches when it comes to that type of stuff.
1: Yeah. In my research, I learned that you weren't really even trying to play pro basketball. You know, in Alaska, you were just trying to get a scholarship so that you could leave Alaska. Yeah. Why? Why was it important for you to leave Alaska?
0: I think. And I think for me, everything started with the 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 environment I kind of grew up in, uh, East Anchorage, Alaska. I'm all I I seen a, I was able to see a lot of things. I can I can almost compliment the people that were my my peers and my older people that were around me. Mm-hmm. Just that I knew that everything that you know they say everybody stays in Alaska. You you see this so much, and it's like I knew that there was like more out there. I remember there's a Facebook. Uh, there's a Facebook post that always comes up every year. And it reminds me that I said that I like one of my goals was like I just want to travel the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the couple times I left the states or left Alaska with my family to go uh, visit California, and visit these other places, Las Vegas, I I grew like fond of traveling. So as when I was younger, I knew that like, I just wanted to leave man, like, because I didn't want to end up like everybody like, you know, the because like, I, I, I wasn't the best, brightest, superstar nicest kid as growing up, you know, I was kind of a knucklehead. So I knew in order to kind of like make what people were saying the kind of rapture, oh, you will maybe you, I wasn't coachable at this time or I wasn't going to be, you know, I had this fear of not being successful or not doing anything with my life that hmm. it drove me to know that I had to leave Alaska and to, to make for something better, because I've already seen all the other options. I've seen what other people were doing. The guys I grew up with, I seen what they were doing. And I was just like, man. I got to give myself a chance to get out of here.
1: Where do you think that that fear of not doing anything with your life comes from?
0: I think it comes from watching people. It, it comes from observing. That's, okay. the, that's the easiest way to say it. It comes from observing. It comes from observing like other people's lives. Um, you seeing the people that are closest to you, how they're living, what they complain about. And you kind of see the things that, other, you know, if you don't give yourself a chance, what it could be like. And just that feeling of 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 staying still and and not really progressing—that was the that, that was like the spark of the fear. I knew I had to go make a way some way. I just I couldn't even think about when I went to Mount Etchcombe. I didn't like know anything about it. I just thought like if I get away from kind of the environment that I'm in, I'm able. To, I, I'll give myself a shot at being something that I never was, mm-hmm. or nobody ever around me was. So that was the goal, like, okay, just to be different. Like that was the, that was the, 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 the challenge.
1: You know, this is, this is interesting because I, I have these questions like later on in the conversation, but you know, I'm just trying to follow your lead. And I feel like we got to this point earlier than I expected, but could you explain, you know, the environment that you're trying to avoid, you know, back in Alaska?
0: okay it starts off uh, i grew up with two brothers uh my family my family came to alaska from like louisiana uh back in the 70s um when i was younger i have my my grandmother she she has seven kids um so i had i had a good a handful of cousins that were you know similar in age a couple years older than me and um basically all my uncles my father my father was incarcerated for 17 years he was just recently released like uh, two, three years ago. Okay. Um, his brothers were in jail for 10 years at, at a time. Uh, one other brothers, he has a 25 year sentence right now that he's serving. Um, my other two brothers that I, uh, my two brothers that I mentioned, one was doing he was doing, uh, he was in a federal penitentiary for seven years, the other one was in there for five years. Before that they were in jail through McLaughlin, uh Youth Center.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Most of the time that I could know, uh, my mom was in jail for a couple years at a time here and there. And just to see some of the players, some of the guys that I like, kind of like it looked up to when I was younger, what they were able to do, they end up going to jail here. And I just seen, I was, I was a visionary at that point where I was able to see what was really happening in, in my environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These people, everything looked good. They had the nice cars, they had this but it didn't, it wasn't the, the success. It wasn't the real success. It was, it was short lived success. So okay. when I was able to see this as a young one, I knew that, and I, and I, and I wasn't the perfect kid. Like I had anger issues at this time, you know what I mean? So okay. I was mad at the world essentially, but I was still had a, a, a visionary mindset to where I knew that those examples, that wasn't gonna be me. I, it couldn't be me. And I just didn't want that to happen. So they kind of set me up to believe that like, yo, you know, this is not the life they had to, I always look, I talk to people now and I tell them they, their sacrifice was them doing the things that I didn't need to do, or, you know, I didn't feel like, oh, I wanted to be cool. Or I wasn't, I wasn't peer pressured into doing the things that they did because I really didn't want to go to jail and be in there like that. So I seen mm-hmm. the examples of what could happen, living a lifestyle where, you know, it's, it's streets, It's you're in the streets all day, you know, you're you're selling drugs here, you're, you're doing this and that. And uh, okay. I just didn't, I I had a fear of that. And I didn't like to be in that because it was, you can call it some sort of trauma because when I was growing up, I used to, my brothers and when they would come home, it could be, you know, I, I grew up with a lot of, I wouldn't say necessarily violence, like where I seen it, but I was, I heard it. You know what I mean? It was, it was yeah. a, lot of, a lot of yelling, a lot of this and that. So when I seen this type of stuff, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted for myself. And I, I wrote something and my mom talks about it all the time. I wrote something in when I was like in third grade where we were speaking about potential and like, I wasn't gonna let anybody take me from my potential. And I just, this was in third grade I'm probably like eight years old. Mm-hmm. But I knew like, just cause you know, you hear the, even when in the midst of your family doing things that they're not supposed to be doing, there's other people talking. So my family's kind of known, you know, throughout the throughout Anchorage and that, that you know, people talk. So you hear this story, you hear that story, you hear your family talking stories. And I didn't like the, the the image that was being portrayed about them. So I was, it always, you know, I had a, I was mad about that. So that was kind of what fueled this this drive to, to get out and, and do something for myself because I didn't want that to happen to me.
1: Yeah. You know, you said you're in third grade And you're writing this thing about your potential, you know, possibly your future potential. That's really young. You know, I wonder when was the moment where you're looking at all of this stuff that's around you, you know, and it's so easy to follow whatever that is, you know, good or bad. So it's a hard thing to break that cycle. What do you think help you break that cycle?
0: I believe there was this one time, like not just off the top of my head, there was a time period where my mother was in jail, both of my brothers were in jail, and my father was in jail. And so a good part of my life, I lived with my grandmother. And um, so those years, when she, and even when they got, when my mother came home, it was like better for me to stay with my grandmother. So I lived with my grandmother so much, and my grandmother, my and my, I had a auntie and an uncle that lived there as well. And they were, you know, well kept and they kept the, you know, they've been working jobs since they were like 18 and they keep their nose clean and everything like that. So I had good examples on both sides. Mm -hmm. I had good and bad examples, so to say, you know, Mm -hmm. so I was able to see, I was able to live this like, you know, a a nice sheltered life to an extent where I was just in arm's reach of the other things. So it was basically a choice for me. But I remember when they were all in jail and I can just think about like me being alone and I was just like, man, I can't let this happen to me, you know? And then mm-hmm. hearing, and it's really those those phone calls you get from jail, you're writing letters all the time. And I was the one that was writing them letters, sending pictures and mm-hmm. doing this type of stuff. And like, you you know, I can remember you, you get the jail call, you have to press a number, they have to wait, they have to say their name and then they come in. Mm-hmm. So like, and then you only get to talk for 15 minutes, you know, so. yeah. Those phone calls, all that type of stuff boiled in this really motivated me to to kind of do more for myself or always just wanted even if I wasn't doing it at the time I always wanted to do more for myself, yeah Can
1: you describe your grandma for me and what it was like living with
0: her oh man she's she's probably uh she's she's one of the most important pieces in my whole my whole makeup um just a, such a strong woman who was just open arms to everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. She was just the one that that kept everybody together. She was the one that no matter what you did, my dad did, her sons did, she wasn't gonna judge you. And um, she would tell you about yourself. She would always keep it honest. Don't bring that stuff around here. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know she used to buy and that was my partner. You know what I mean? She used yeah. to keep me. That was, I, my my cousins get mad to this day. It's like I, I was her favorite. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, that was the thing. We, we had such a, a strong relationship that where, you know, when I first went to college, she was the one that was supporting me financially getting to college. And a lot of the things that I did, and a lot of the things I did growing up and everything, she she was the main one in my corner supporting. She was like my mother and my father, when they weren't around. So mm-hmm. that was the she's the most yeah, she was the most instrumental part of my life.
1: Can you think of a a moment when, you know, you are officially moved in with her. And she maybe just made you feel comfortable, you know, made you feel at home.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't even think every moment that I was around her, I felt that way, because I couldn't you my grandma, my grandmother wouldn't tell me she wouldn't she wouldn't allow me she's not she's a she was a person that never would allow you to go hungry. First of all, you're never Mm -hmm. gonna go hungry. You're always gonna have a roof over your head. And her house was always well kept, you know what I mean? So everything mm-hmm. was clean in there, you got to get down. And it just reminded me of the work that you need to put in to have to have anything that, that's worth having. So we were always waking up on Saturdays, cleaning up the house and a lot, it was, she really ran like an orphanage, basically my cousins and all my family members, the the younger people that weren't whose parents weren't around. She mm-hmm. raised like three of my four of my cousins while their parents were in jail or okay. in the streets at the same time. So. It was this safe house that that everybody knew you can go to 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 just get that loving and comfort in you know you sit down there you you sit on the couch with her and you watch her little tv shows that she got her little matinees that she got going on watch the prices right yeah you know she'll make you some food make you some lunch you know and everything was just yeah everything was real good with her there wasn't a moment where you felt out of place with her
1: yeah yeah she sounds she really sounds incredible. You know, I wonder how often do you think about her?
0: Well, uh, since, okay, let me see. I, I just recently, she passed away. What is it? Two years ago, I believe in February, I think this year makes three years. Okay. But, um, I got I got a, I went and, uh, purchased a, uh, nice medallion that, um, I carry her face on it. Mm-hmm. So I'm every time I look up and see, you know, every time I put my chains on, I see her face. So she's something that's like, you know, it's never going to be able to forget, you know. Yeah. And that energy, that good energy that she brought and it lives through me. So she she never died at that point. So mm-hmm. I see it in the people, I see it in my family members, I see it in how they carry themselves cuz it, it it was an aura that, you know, shines through everybody. So yeah. When I think about her, it's it's every day I think about the work that I have to put in day to day in my job and I know that, that that came from something. So anytime I thank myself, I'm really thinking my family for the, you know, the the values that I was born with.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I continue to ask you questions about your grandma because, you know, my grandma passed away last year and I, I am really feeling connected to how you said that your grandma didn't pass away, you know, in your mind, she's, she's still around like her energy, her aura is still there. And I have my grandma's picture on my home screen on my phone. And I don't know why I even did it in the first place. You know, I was like, I like this picture of her, you know, she's sitting on her corner of the couch. She's reading the Anchorage daily news. Like she always did. And you know, there's the phone right next to her because she was like the glue that kept the family all together. And you know, she would call us when it was somebody's birthday, like, Hey, you know, give them a call. It's their birthday. They want to hear from you. And it's just, it's such a perfect, portrait of how I remember her and whenever I'm getting on my phone because we're always all of us are on our phones constantly the first thing I see is her and it's a reminder to be the person that she'd be proud of
0: for sure and I take I take that and I I use it as a challenge because I already know um, just who she was and it like the the beauty of my relationship with my grandmother maybe not a lot of people have and you may share, is that I, we were always real and honest with each other. We spoke mm-hmm. about the best mm-hmm. things. It was always love every time we talked on the phone, it was always good times. Just even her last years, we were so, I was able to keep it so honest with her that it, I told her everything I, that I wanted. So we didn't leave anything left on the table when it was time. Yeah. And um, it's it's just nice to know, like, it, like, she really gives me hope that there's really good people out here and there's like things yeah. that you can be strong on. And, so even the couple of phone calls that we would have, it's, I would still feel the same way I feel now, the days that I didn't talk to her. Yeah. So I know that she's still, you know, I knew she was still around no matter what. So um, yeah, that's, that's the beauty in that whole thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was listening to this other podcast interview with you and you said that when you look at the trajectory of your career and where you are now, you think to yourself, I'm not even supposed to be here. What do you mean by that?
0: I mean, I think I've, like everybody else in this world, I've made mistakes that I think most people kind of consider, you know, it it might be off the, well, based on what I think about it's like the people that I grew up around the environment that we spoke on earlier, I wasn't the one that was count. Like if you pick the lineup out of all my peers, when we were, 12 to 13, I wasn't the kid that you were going to pick out. Mm. And I didn't believe it then either. I was all, if you told me who the best was or who was going to be, make it this far, I wouldn't have picked myself either. So when I think about it, I mean, there was so many moments when I, I remember getting to college in California and seeing that, like, that I wasn't, you know, there was better kids out there, better players. And I just couldn't, it was just, I, I would call it almost like a lack of confidence within self. Despite having so much confidence in self, like, I still didn't believe it. It wasn't, it didn't seem like I was the one I used to, you know, it's like that, why me type of a deal. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when I look at, you know, the environment that I grew up, with, nobody in my family played basketball at this level that I've had, that I've achieved, not college, not a, not too many people in my family have their degrees in college. Um, maybe one or two. I think I was one out of all my cousins, I might even be the only one that went to college, but my brothers, you know, so... My parents didn't go to college. My mother did actually late. She's been to college and she's getting her degree, but my father didn't go to college. I think they finished in high school and that was it. So when I, when I look at the, you know, the upbringing or when you, if you write it down on paper, if you made a formula of how it's supposed to work, this wasn't the formula that they would have in. And most people would, you know, go the other way because it just didn't sound like it was going to work out. I know there was like if I didn't believe in myself, I know that there was a lot of other people that could have been around me that almost didn't believe in the dream or in the thing. And I didn't. Mm-hmm. And with when, when you when you taking when I don't when you don't have a direct path, you don't have it written down how it's going to work out. It's hard for anybody to believe, you know. Every, blueprints, yeah. you know, you can't just build a building without having the solid blueprint. Yeah. And I didn't have a solid blueprint that was, you know, sounds. I just was going off of these values and this 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 desire to be more do more and see what more you know oh Mm -hmm. i I accomplished this like what else can i do yeah you know so it's always this aha moment with me like oh wow we are actually able to do this we can do this so i'm still gaining confidence day by day it's a it's a day by day thing with me when i find out oh i am capable and then i look back at the things that i've accomplished and i say okay now i'm standing on this blueprint that i've created from experiencing
1: yeah and do you have family back in Alaska
0: yeah most of my majority of my family is still there
1: okay and how often do you talk to them
0: um I talk to you know there's a couple selected cousins we, with social media it feels like you talk to everybody every day yeah they might like does. a picture you might like a picture you might say I love you cousin so they get to see a good part of my life my cousins that are involved um sometimes when I talk to my cousins I wind end up talking to my auntie or my uncle um, I actually have some family that are planning to come visit me next month. Um, so I've been pushing for pa- this last six years. I've been pushing for all my family to get their passports. A lot of them got them now. So that's been something dope. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I talk to my mother and my bro- my two brothers, uh, pretty often, maybe once or two times a week, my mother more, more than that. Then I have a couple other cousins that I speak to more frequently. But, um, yeah, I, I get in touch with them as best as I can. We send text. I like to send motivational text messages to them, too. Sometimes send yeah. them sending pictures of what's going on, my scenery, what I'm seeing. They don't get to see the world from the, the lens that I get to see it out of. And overseas and, you know, a lot of pressures that people may have in America is a lot different. You know, you're not so there's the people here are not. Completely just strung out on making money, or Mm -hmm. or, you know their living situations aren't that bad. Everybody kind of the quality of life seems a little bit better over here, and um, I think it's just a a testament of like not being such in a rush. Yeah, you know, actually trying to enjoy things and like seeing things in a different light. So I try to motivate as best as I can, and they're they're just super thrilled with talking. Like when they see my posts or they see anything that I'm doing or what's going on over here, they just love it
1: what do these motivational texts look like?
0: Um, I kind of start from, I start from, a per, I, I really, I'm, I'm only telling them things that I'm telling myself day by day. Yeah. So when I, if I'm going through something, I could be like, well, you know, the, the, I like when I like sending my mother and my brothers, um, I like to tell them that like, you know, what we've been through is not what we look like now, you know, and that's a blessing. Mm-hmm. So, we don't have to have these, because I understand how people kind of think, and it's like, we don't have to have these these expectations and these, we don't have to, we can we can want more. My biggest thing that I think if I had to shorten it up is I want my family to want more for themselves and and wanting more is like kind of doing more for yourself and just not having this, like we've already beat the game. That's one of my favorite ones. It's like, we've already beat it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing you can tell. If you make it out of jail, you're doing the prison system, you're in there for five to seven years, and then you get out, and now you're able to get yourself a house and have your family there with you. And, you mm-hmm. know, you're providing for your family. That's that's enough for right now, but we can always, want, we're gonna want more, but we're just taking it step by step. Yeah. And I try to remind them to appreciate this journey that we've been on, because we've all been on it together. And I, I try to just let them know that I'm very proud of them as much as they say that they're proud of me, it's not about the success that i'm having within you know sports but it's more so about the success i'm building within myself mm-hmm. being a better mm-hmm. person um understanding like you know what is really like what really means something what's the real you know and that's about having my family around me having them experience different countries you know let's mm-hmm. start things like that i'm actually in China to inspire my i'm in the works of it but i'm inspiring to get my mother's book written Okay. And then you know, branch off to have my my book written, my brother's books written, and kind of branch into that because my mother's story is just incredible. I spoke highly about my grandmother, but my mother is like, I can I just yeah, that's the most amazing woman on top of my grandmother. Like they they're fighting for the spot for me. So yeah, um, it's just like just to know their personal struggles and what they went through, and to know that I I, I look at it like they were they sacrificed for me. So I didn't get to see a lot of different things and the things that I did see, they didn't want that, want me to see that. Hmm. And okay. um, just to know how proud they are to, into me, it's just, it reflects and I'm, I just get to be so, you know, joyous about what they're doing in their lives. My mom has yeah. like a nonprofit she's trying to run right now, to help out the homeless people down there in Anchorage. And she's, uh, she's just doing it, you know, and they didn't have the same education that I did and they didn't have the the same, you know, mentors, and they didn't have the same examples that I'd had to not do the things that they did. So, mm-hmm. and in one breath, it's just like, man, they're amazing people and they deserve, I feel like they deserve everything that they, you know, they deserve, they deserve yeah. a lot. And I just want to keep influencing them to like, you know, work out, work on their health and be this person that you want to see in order to, you know, live the life that we're supposed to live. Because it doesn't have to be, you know, hardships or anything like that. We can live a joyous life and we can live very, very, very nice. And I, I want to just inspire them to do that.
1: How's your relationship with your mom and has it changed over the years?
0: Mother's like been my best friend. Um we've been like I praise her for everything that kind of like my accomplishments right now because I know how powerful words are and I can one mm-hmm. of my fondest memories is her Telling me that I was a genius when I was, you know, younger. She used to always praise me and just say, This is my genius, my genius, my genius, my baby. Yeah. And like my whole family knew like how much my mother loved me. And like that just that love, I can see it just, you know, I as I'm getting older and getting wiser, I'm just seeing like how powerful that was for me as a person. That's where my confidence was rooted in. Mm-hmm. You know, and the things that, you know, the times that we shared together when maybe it was my brothers that were in jail, my dad was in jail. And it was just me and my mom living, you know, and the things that we did, the th- you know, the experiences that we had, I can just like, she's just one of my, she's my strongest person. And, the, you know, she's went over like telling her stories, like, man, I, I think I need to get Oprah and, and the whole best sellers out here because they're going to have a bidding war over it because she's one of the strongest people that I've ever seen. And just even when like I had went through an injury uh, about two years ago, a year ago. And just me knowing the injuries that she's went through in her body, I had no choice but to persevere, so mm-hmm. that strength that she embodies just has been it's been everything for me, and I don't even know if she knows it, but I try to remind her that I try to tell her that she's the most you know special being in this you know. Mm-hmm. I try to yeah. breathe that same life that she breathed into me. I try to send that back to her.
1: You and I have never met before. you know this is the first time that we have spoken, but so far you seem so positive and also philosophical. Where do you think you get that from?
0: I'd have to credit, I credit my DNA. (laughs) Okay. okay. Um, that's, that's one of the things because I, I just, I think that it's just, just like, I had an open mind as a kid. Um, I was in like the AP classes, but I was one of the kids that didn't like to do the, the necessary, all my teachers used to tell me this too, that I was a bright student, but I had, like, I was angry. You know, I used to get embarrassed about certain things or maybe it was, I didn't feel like I was in the right circle or I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And maybe I was, you know, hanging around with the wrong crowd at the time. And I wasn't fully taken in on my education or what I was, but Mm -hmm. through that and through those things, I was able to just see a lot of different people. And I, when I when I see people, I've seen you know try to choose the best things that I've seen in them, and I think it comes from uh, my mother, my father, the people that I grew up, my aunties, my uncles. There were so many different people that I was around. I was so connected to all these different people that I was able to kind of shape and be this person that I am now. And I credit the education level that I went through. I you know I graduated from UAF, uh, interdisciplinary studies degree, and I think the degree in itself tells you people kind of what it was like i'd studied so many different things i went to five different high schools five different four different colleges i think um so i was just i've been around and i think mm-hmm. that uh those experiences have just made me who i am and all that comes from that like i was I'm, i kind of studied everything every situation that i was in i go back over i kind of now nowadays i go back over like my days and i think about the moments where i felt this way and i was able to i my mother you taught me that, I'll give her credit too. It's like being able to read my feelings and think about what the things that I said. And I had I've had great teachers also also. Mm-hmm. Um and they've they've said things that spoken out to me about thinking about the things you think about. Uh, a teacher in California said that to me mm-hmm. one time. Um don't even remember the name, but I remember they told me that. And those, you know, certain moments just stick out to me and those uh I think that's what all put it together, you know?
1: Yeah. Do you write this stuff down? Or do you just have a really good memory?
0: Uh, I it's a little bit of both. I, I have some things written down I have. Um, but I don't go back and read the things that I've written down. I okay. should probably more but um, I like to just go off the top of my head and I can hear these things almost like I, I feel this this is how I can like replay my life over my last 10 years of the things that the way I thought Mm -hmm. the way, you know, and now my education level getting better, I can, I know how I was thinking in there, while I was making those decisions. And it's able to, like, I'm able to just connect within myself. And I think that's been the best thing that's happened to me over the last, what is it is, six years, especially being overseas, because being overseas, I was alone a lot. And I had to get into this space where I had to talk to myself. And, you know, you're in moments where you know, you are, like, I traveled a lot by myself. So being in these moments where you're just alone, you, you got to find somebody to talk to and talking to people is easy for me too. So okay, I always knew that I was just a social bug type of a deal. Like I like to connect with new people. I like to see it. I like to see, you know, what's going on in the world in that aspect.
1: What did those moments look like when, you know, you were over there and you're alone you know, you're, you're still learning the language. You don't know the geography that well.
0: It felt like, um, it, it, it reminded me of all the other times. Well, now it's like with technology and everything like that. I'm one call away from people. Yeah. But the, 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 the when I first learned about being alone was that I had so much time there was so much in me that I could talk to or I could be around, like I had enough of me. So like I was never kind of fed up with myself. Like there was so much learning I can do. When I first started reading, it's kind of crazy that I, I've i read books throughout my life and all that type of stuff. But then this six year journey, I talk about this all the time, this six mm-hmm. year being overseas and having to be, when you talk about Georgia and being in Tuscatubo, that's when I picked up this book uh, called the Homo Sapiens um, I forgot who it was by, but I started reading that and then like I just picked it up at the airport and then from there I just started going down this 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 whirlpool of like just trying to find new thoughts, new knowledge, and just understanding history and then connecting the dots from being overseas, seeing these places that I'm going to, traveling to Greece, being in Portugal, learning, you know, oh, this is why trying to just piece all these connections. Mm-hmm. And I told you I went to school for, you know, I was in school for a for five six years and you know traveling different places and I took a lot of different classes mm-hmm. and you know taking all these classes I started to just kind of remember certain things. Chemo, I don't remember everything, but the key some key points that pop out about maybe it's a religion class that I took in in San Francisco yeah. or or a class that I took in Oakland. Like all these little things just pop up in my head and they kind of when I read something I just connect the dots with that and it's oh I remember that. Yeah. And it's kind of like remembering smells type of deal. Like I remember this from here and I'm able to try to put it together.
1: So in those moments that you were alone, you know, you're overseas, you're able to, or you were able to kind of rediscover all of these things within yourself by almost having a conversation with yourself. Am I getting totally. that correct?
0: Yes, yes. That's exactly how it worked out. Just figuring out... It was, it's, it's more, it's one of those aha moments where you're figuring out that you were always enough and that there was more. Yeah. You figuring out there's more to you. There's way, like the complexity in you, how I think and how I break down certain situations. Why maybe, why was I angry? Why did I feel that way? I remember a friend sent me a message one time and I was told him I was mad about what happened in the game. And he, we went to play college basketball together. And he just randomly sent me a message. We don't even talk at all. But uh, he sent me a message and he said, well, before you're angry, anger is a secondary emotion. And before that, you feel certain things. You feel embarrassed. You might feel shame. Mm -hmm. And just being able to identify certain things and why I felt that way or what was influencing me to feel that way has been, like, the biggest thing. It's like... Well, I don't necessarily need to feel that way because I don't hold this shame on myself or anybody else. And, mm-hmm. or, you know, I don't need to be embarrassed because we're all humans. And, and I think that that's a big thing for today's society, especially a lot of young kids, we're embarrassed. We feel this way. It's like, I remember so many, like so many things that I did out of not thinking. And mm-hmm. it's almost like my point my early, my, my teens are almost like, it almost seems like a, a black stadium if I had to paint it a color, it's like I wasn't thinking. Okay, you know, and like um, I can't really like now come into this this space that I'm in now. I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like when you're like you're using your brain and you're thinking. You can remember, you can draw down, and you know, journaling helped as well. When I got overseas, I began to journal, mm-hmm. and it's funny that I go to my journals now, and some of them dated to 2018, and it's like I'm saying the same things over and over and over and over and over. So I felt this way. When I said I wanted to travel in 2012 and now I've traveled to X amount of countries, yeah. it's like this is, I wrote this down, I said this thing, you know what I mean? And yeah. they're, they're becoming, the, they, this is what I always wanted. So finding out what I always wanted within myself is becoming like the new thing. It's the, but it's the old thing, it's the same thing that's been going on. So. I've, I'm just putting like a a bow on it now and I'm, I'm going for the things that I want. I'm, I'm embracing it more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're living the life that you'd been thinking about. You'd been dreaming about, you know, you manifested it. For sure. What do you think has caused you the most anger or embarrassment when you think about those earlier years?
0: Right off the rip, I think about the way it looked like when my family was on drugs. My mother was addicted to heroin and crack, and my brothers were addicted to heroin and and other drugs, meth, and just the way it damaged the facials, the the body, how they looked. And I used to never want them to come to my basketball games because they were so drugged out. Mm. And I used to, that was the, you know, people you can tell when somebody's on drugs and they're wiggity and they're they're moving kind of antsy and like, that type of stuff that used to always like break me. I used to just like, I used to, oh, you know, cause I, when I, when I, when I didn't know about their drug habits and I didn't know that they were using drugs, I was like so naive to it. Okay, Like they might've been on drugs for a long time, but I didn't know until I started finding needles around the house and I started hiding the needles and I'm, I'm walking, I see the spoons that are black cause they're smoking off the spoons. And once I started to see that type of stuff, I was like, damn, like. This is, you know, it really, that was one of my shames. That was my embarrassment. and hmm. You know, overcompensating that, overcompensating that with anger, you know, because I'm mad at my, my situation. I used to want other people's lives so bad. Like, damn, I wish I had this. You know, they they look like they're living the life. They're doing the, the right things. This is what, you know, what's necessary. And so um, I think I had a lot of stuff pent up about that. And, you know, your father being in jail. When my dad went to jail, I remember thinking that, when he was going on trial, I remember believing that he was going to get out. I didn't think that he was going to get sentenced to 27 years. Mm. Right. You know, when I was 12 years old, I was really believing that he was innocent and that, you know, he was going to jail or he was just, you know, they had it wrong or something like that. Cause that's what, you know, that's what your family tells you during those moments. Ah, no, it's going to be good not realizing that, you know, in certain situations, you know, with the evidence that's built up against you, you might not, it might not be as, you know, peaches and cream as it seems. So, those type of moments where I felt like I had this, I think in my high school career I had a lot of anger built up because I felt like I was played. I didn't know. Mm. You know, I felt like, oh, I thought this was this, and it turned out to be not that. Yeah. And but then, you know, as you get older, you realize that even the people's lives that you were envious of, they had their things going on. Yeah. That you yeah. might not want their, you know, you might not want those same skeletons that they got going on. So mm. it I over time I've learned to appreciate my struggle and appreciate my journey. And, and love the people that you know that have dealt with you know addictions and dealt with these traumas that they've had because it wasn't it wasn't nothing personal against me. They were dealing with that themselves. You know they loved mm-hmm. me as best as they could in that capacity. So that's what they were dealing with. They weren't. It wasn't nothing against me. They didn't not like me. You know it's not like oh I'm doing drugs because I don't like you enough. Mm-hmm. You know those mind. You know I don't blame my father for not being around because he was. He had, you know, he was doing what he was doing. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of learning to look at people as people and, you know, the relationships that you have with them, just try to foster them and keep them strong and be that light for them to see more. Um, That's been my, that's, that's how I got overcame this type of feelings.
1: Yeah. If you don't mind me asking, what was it like for you when your dad got sentenced to 27 years?
0: It was, um, it was very disappointing. Um, I didn't even, after he got sentenced for 27 years, he wasn't, he was in Alaska for maybe a month or two, a couple months before, um, he was actually shipped off to go stay where he was at or go be in like California or wherever he got first shipped off to, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to go see him. I was rebellious to it. I was kind of disappointed that I didn't want to see him. So I didn't go see him. My mom used to try to make me, he used to want me to go see him. I used to, I said, I wasn't going, I didn't want to see him in a jail cell or anything like that so i didn't go see him so i didn't see him actually for probably like 15 years Mm, okay and then one summer when i was coming back from overseas i took a drive with one of my brothers one of my best friends like my brother um and we take a drive to arizona and i go see him for the first time
1: what made you go see him that time
0: um i think i was just i had the i had the means i had the funds i was available
1: okay
0: um it was on my mind Definitely. And the thing about it was I didn't have any I never held any resentment towards my father because I liked who I was today. You know what I mean? So maybe if Mm -hmm. he was in my life Mm -hmm. at that time, I wouldn't be who I was today. So I never held any resentment towards him. I I grew up to understand why people do the things they do. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of, you know, I justified, you know, certain things in my life. Like okay, this is I just justify what people do because I understand what it feels like. To to kind of have addictions or be around different things. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: I um, when I took that drive, it was very dope. Uh, me and my brother went out there, and we uh, he dropped me off. I remember getting in there. I can't remember too much about the, but we me and my father, we've always uh, we had a great relationship. So we always corresponded via email. Mm-hmm. And um, anytime I was in the states, he can call me. And uh, and I will, you know, if I catch a call, that would be dope. It was great, to, always great to hear his voice. So um, we're super similar, you know, it's funny. And um, just the conversations that we had that day, I remember it just being super dope, you know, good love. And, you know, I think he cried too, but it was just, dope. he's not even a guy that cries either. Okay. But it was just dope to really be around, you know, to feel that masculine energy from your father, see, you know, him appreciate the things that you're doing in your career and just like kind of loving the artwork that, that you're providing to the world. And mm-hmm. It was dope that was a great thing.
1: You know, listening to that, you're even positive about it. You know, that whole situation could be so easy to look at negatively, but your first inclination is to think about it positively.
0: Sure. Yeah. I just, it's, I think it's almost a waste of time to look at the bad shit, you know? And I look at him now, like he was just in Portugal with me last year. So like, that's great. I just I just brought him to Portugal. You know what I mean. First yeah. time overseas, and you're seeing your son out in Portugal where he's the man, and people are coming up to him asking for autographs, and that's what you're seeing. So I look at it like, I can't. What would I do? Resent? How can I be upset mm-hmm. if I've you know been able to you know hold the load? It wasn't like maybe if I was in a different predicament, like you know mentally, physically, and, and uh, financially, then I wouldn't, you know, maybe I would have some resentment. I can't say that, though, because that wasn't me, that's not me. And I don't really hold anything towards anybody. Because I, it's almost about putting so much faith in who I am right now. It's like they did enough for me, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, you know, granted, there's always things and right now, the only thing you owe me is you being your best self and possibly providing me with a, a uh, a nice comforter if I ever fall down, you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. for, yeah. for right now, it's like I'm I'm carrying the load for myself, and I don't. I took that once I accepted that responsibility, it was easier to like let go of responsibility, the responsibility for other people to have over me. Yeah, it's like I'm 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 an adult. I have to handle my business, and once I did that and got on road, and you know, there's moments where you you I think about it now how things could be differently sometimes. I'm just like you know well. I'm just happy that he's alive and he's, you know, I can call him now if I wanted to. And those are, you know, what, what would the story be like now? If I can continue to, we can continue to do big things and make things happen. Like it could be super special. So yeah, I, I choose not to look at it. It's a choice though. You know, there's moments where I feel like I could be, I could want to be that way. But when I think about it now, it would be a reflection of what I'm not doing. So if I'm not handling my business, it's easy to point the, the blame on somebody else. Yeah. But when, once you take full accountability of your actions and what you're doing and your progress and how that type of stuff, it's like, I'm doing this, you know, so I can't blame anybody else.
1: It seems like you're really comfortable talking about all this stuff.
0: Yeah, because I know it's it's the truth, you know, and I don't feel no, I know that there's so many other people going through it in the world different aspects you know there's it's a spectrum there's different they might be I might be at a level four and there's somebody at a level seven mm-hmm. you know so I know my story not the worst and I know it's not the best but I just I'm totally confident in it and I believe that it's something you know I think it I almost laugh about it now because it's so it's so unique and so special it's like it's insane to me like it doesn't even seem real when I tell people this I see their reactions and I'm like oh well it is real. Because mm-hmm. I always looked at it like you know, yeah, you know, I'm never. I wasn't gonna let it stop me, you know. So I never, you know, it was. It was always. There was moments of you know, it wasn't always nice. There was always moments of like, damn. But I never. I always was able, you know. I had. It was like I was raised by a village essentially, mm-hmm. and there were and my people. My my father's name. He was a. He's a great guy. You know what I mean. And there's a lot of people that loved him so the love that i felt growing up i never really felt that alone without my parents you don't, know? yeah because they made that was just a testament of the people they were or they are yeah they held you know good good standards they always helped out people people always coming up to me saying your father helped me out your mother did this for me you know what i mean they just mm-hmm. got mm-hmm. to get caught up in their own issues to where they they weren't able to be there for me 24 7. but um They made sure they looked out for other people who eventually looked out for me. And that's that's been a blessing for myself. So you touched on
1: this a bit earlier, but Alaska doesn't have any professional sports teams. You know, when Alaskans root for a team, it's usually one from like Seattle or where they're originally from. My dad, for example, is originally from Wisconsin. So his football team is the Packers. Do you think that not growing up in a place with professional sports being part of the local conversation made it tough for you to imagine a future in basketball?
0: I think that, um, I think it played a part. I think there was not, there was a, there was a disconnect there, but I also think it provided me with this ability to not be so consumed because consumed by uh, one franchise or one sports club. I was never, I didn't grow up with, uh, I didn't like right now when people ask me, I don't have a favorite team per se. You know what I mean? I like the players. I like the individuals. So in one aspect, it gave me, like, I wasn't like a bandwagon team. I didn't, you know, some people, like my brother and them, they were born in Seattle, grew up in Alaska. So Mm -hmm. they liked the Seahawks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But me, I was never really, no teams really appealed to me because it wasn't from where I was from. So I would say I like different players. If there was a certain game on that day, I would like that day I had this team. You know, Mm -hmm. so I would, it almost, in hindsight, it's like I never was able to be, a bandwagon fan of anybody. So it almost gave me this individuality where I was always about, you know, the people that I knew. Yeah. Like right now, my team right now, my basketball team right now is the Celtics because I know players that play for them. Okay. So it's like, that's what kind of, and I, yeah, if I'm clapping it up for it, I think uh, good job, Alaska, because I wasn't, you know, where's the aces at? Those are my guys. Like I don't, yeah. I like the home team. I don't really need to go anywhere else.
1: Yeah. What do you think helped you imagine being a professional basketball player in a real way?
0: I mean, honestly, I didn't even know. I I didn't even know what I was really doing the whole time. Okay. I, uh, I was literally just taking it step by step and enjoying where I was at. So going from college to college, they said, go here. I heard one teacher when I was in, we ended up getting into it. I think he kicked me out of his class when I was in junior college in San Francisco he uh he was a professional basketball player. I think he played 11 years and he was one of the first I wouldn't say the first person but it sticks out in my mind now like first overseas people that talked about it. I knew uh Trajan had played overseas and um when I left Fair University of Fairbanks there was a uh, my guy Brad Olson he's sober like guy I've kind of modeled my career after. He was the one of the the, the guys that I found out that was like overseas and really doing well for himself. And that guy, Brad Olson out of Fairbanks or North Pole, he um yeah, he he sparked the whole thing. After I, my senior year in college, that's when I was like, okay, let's let's try to get overseas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Junior year, senior year college, I said, overseas could be an option. I'm just trying to make it. It was more it's about the action. It was actually about, it's about me actually doing it. And like for my first couple of years overseas, I still didn't, I didn't. I was wet behind the ears. I didn't have any knowledge about what I was actually doing and how significant it could be. Like, so the, as the years kept piling up, I started to, you know, gain more notoriety and do more
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, as a player and be more successful. And then I'm like, right now I'm still to this day kind of like, okay, I can see where I can, like I, I'm actually becoming, cause you can, it, there's a lot of guys that get overseas and they play, they play sports, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that title themselves. They play professional sports. They're a professional athlete, which they are, and they're right. But um, there's this act of doing it and being it and, and owning that that whole that whole thing. And uh, I've been able to, over my last years, I've been fortunate enough to be able to be around some good people to kind of nurture myself into becoming this professional athlete. You know what I mean? And actually you know i've i've been able to i stayed in portugal for about 7 6 years mm-hmm. and i was able to get my portuguese passport as well and um that was something that kind of like like really stamped me in my heart like okay well you know this is this is my life you know what i mean so for the first few years first few years i had it didn't it almost was like this dream that didn't seem real okay and um as i as i got as i got older i started to see it for for what it really was
1: what do you think makes a good basketball player?
0: Based on everything that I've learned and, and experienced through this game, I've I've came across so many players that were super talented, uh, skill wise, physically. It's like the perfect specimen that you would think that, you know, a basketball player is supposed to be made out of, mm-hmm. but a lot of guys and especially overseas, this overseas life is a lot different than, than most people know. And it really stems from just being alone at some points, being around new cultures and um, learning to embrace these cultures and just having to go through so many, it's not as bigger than basketball at this point when you become a professional. Mm-hmm. And I think all that stems from, or all that like goes around the mindset, the mentality of the player, um, how he looks at the game, what he's, what's his integrity like? So mentally, mentality is all, it's the, it's the biggest thing. That's what the, for me, that's what it is. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's that it's the mental of the player. That's what makes a real good player. And then, you know, part of having a good mental means that, you know, physically you're going to do the right things to improve and you're going to be, you're going to be where you need to be. It's like the best players have this, this strong mental, you know, and even when you're going through slumps or you're having, because the game happens, so many things happens in the game. There's so many different moments of, uh, you know, you could be, you could be upset. You could be angry uh, you could be a uh, lack of confidence in the moment. And um, it's the mentality that holds you over throughout the whole thing.
1: Do you feel like you're in a position now to inspire the next generation of basketball players from Alaska, or maybe even help them imagine a future playing pro kind of like how you were inspired by Brad Olson?
0: Yeah, I think that's been my goal. I didn't know that it was happening until I kind of looked back and and you know, I got a jersey hanging up in the Mountain View Boys and Girls Club. Mm-hmm. And um I've I've reached out to so many different young athletes that have uh that are kind of going embarking on the same journey that I'm on. And I've been able to come, you know, offer my advice, help them and talk to them about anything they need. It's happens like, you know, it happens pretty like a lot often. And um there's been there's been guys that are you know creeping through the ceiling doing the same things that I did went to college finishing college and they're on their professional careers right now and I've reached out to pretty much all of them and um, we've been able to talk and they just to hear the thing their experiences right now and I've been just able to just share my my testimony and what I've been through and what works and what can work and what they need to do so I would say that yeah I've, that's that's been where I'm at that's that's been my the life of of what I've been doing as of uh the last few years, man. There's been guys that come from nowhere, guys that I've never met, never seen play, but they've they've followed my journey and they talk about how they're inspired by me, and I just let them know that, man. Anything can happen for you. Uh my story is, you know, I bounced around so many colleges, so many high schools. These guys recognize that and they they respect it and it's it's great to it's a good feeling to have actually. It's uh It keeps me going because I know I want to stay. I want to give them something more to dream about. So that's what keeps me going in some days.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. How do you see yourself as a teammate? Does it come easy for you to trust people or is that something you've had to work on over the years?
0: I think as a teammate, I've always tried to, I've always tried to be like, no matter where I go, whatever team I've been on. I've always tried to just remain myself and keep, I like to call it the dishwasher mindset. I like to do the dirty things. I like to work okay. hard. And that's my way of leading by example. And just, you know, I try to connect with each each teammate that I have. And I really like the young ones just because I, I remember myself in their shoes and what they're going through. And I, I try to help as much as possible, man. Cause I think that's all I like as, as much as I've experienced and went through I've done you know I've been in you know arguments with teammates I've been the guy you know on on both ends of everything and um now the way I look at it is like we're colleagues we're work colleagues that you know and some friendships are built throughout this and um some are just you know kept as colleagues but I look to you know they're people and they have their families they have the things that you know so we're we're coming on this common goal that we, we you know we're both here to succeed and, and do what's best for us. And I try to just preach the message, man. Like we can all win out of this, you know, this situation. And um, I try to be the best teammate I can. I've had my moments. And uh, I think that it's just, it's important though. Cause you know, we're working together. We, we need each other in these, you know, in these moments and there's gonna, we're going through battles together. We're going through wars together. And it's important that we stick together and try to maintain a balance that we can you know both understand and 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 just put it all together so everybody can win And because that, that's the that's the goal that's the ultimate mm-hmm. goal is mm-hmm. that everybody wins
1: over the years have you had any teammates that have made an impression on you
0: yeah i've had a couple of guys man i have had, i've had a couple of good guys coming through uh over my last six years man i met a guy um from baltimore I played with some guys that that I played against in college before, and you know, just through the thick and thin, you see you you can learn a lot from other people in their journeys too, and it's just dope to kind of to first I'm a fan, and then they they are they're admired by what I do in my work, so it's like a, a bunch of artists just sitting there looking at each other and admiring each other's work, and it's dope to see you know the things that other people go through and, and how you can take from that and, and build with yourself. And, and yeah, I just been a sponge with a lot of the guys that I've met over the years.
1: Anyone's in specific come to mind?
0: Uh, well, my first guy is Isaiah Armwood. He's somebody that I, I've met and I played with him last season in Portugal. And, um, he's a guy that I, I respect, I respect highly and we played together. Uh, we had a good year. You know what I mean? He's one of my good mm-hmm. friends that I, I, um, I connected with all the time. We used to go out to eat, go out to dinner, especially, you know, we're overseas. So we're we're all alone in some aspect. So I got to meet some of his family that came through. He got to meet my father when he came. And it's just, you know, it was a nice click that we, you know, we both were inspired by the the work that we put in and how we work. And that's where where the relationship really started at.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How about coaches?
0: i 've met some I've had some I've, I've I've had some really great coaches uh my coaches from, from my, my entire every year that I've played um I've had a good coach you know somebody that was my first year I was blessed with with a great coach who who who's won before and he had you know he taught me the game of basketball all over again and taught me X's and O's and how to you know how to really read the game and then mm-hmm. my next coach he was an older guy and he's won a lot he was one of the most famous coaches in Portugal and he was somebody that taught me how to be a more, a solid professional and, and how to kind of, what it takes to be, to be anything that you want to be with, you know, and he, he showed me like, there's, there's more potential out here in inside myself and the things that I can do on this basketball course. So that was, it was a great experience. And every coach that I've had, we had a great relationships and it's just been, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a good time, man. I've learned a lot from these people and they, they've taken me in and, and, and mentored me and, Help shape my career to where it's at today.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I'm not sure if you can answer this, but maybe to the best of your ability, what do you think is the difference between playing pro basketball in the States and playing it in Europe?
0: Realistically, like uh, the best players in the world play in the NBA. And I think that um, when you look at, like some of the best teams in the clubs, these histories of these teams and these clubs, these clubs have been around for a long time. So I think when you compare that to European style basketball, coaches are a lot more involved and there's not like this like superstar, it's less commercial, you know what I mean? So I think it played, that plays a role to the the, the what's going on in the, in the games. So it's pretty dope though, I, but I, trust me, I would love to be in the NBA as well
1: that's interesting you said it's it's less commercial based could you explain that a little more
0: well the way i look at it it's like some of these i mean i'm not i don't want to discredit anybody in the nba yeah but i think that these like people in europe the players in europe there's so many different there's other like little competitions that you're playing and it's like the culture that is around each club it's 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 it's, it sticks and it stands and it's like you kind of play you're playing for more than just and you guys don't really get traded that much you know it's not like you're getting traded here and there every single day Mm -hmm. every year maybe but like so i think that the history of the clubs makes it less commercial and um i think you're playing for something that seems like it has like a deeper value or a deeper meaning i think the nba kind of seems a little bit like, there's no loyalty to each team. It's not like this crazy history between... There's history, obviously. I don't want to take that away. But I think that in Europe, these guys, it's like the game is kind of appreciated a little bit more.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah. And how about the trash-talking on the court? How does that compare to the U.S.?
0: Well, I, honestly, you, it depends, man, because you're going to get you might. <laughs> You're playing against, you're playing against people from different countries, different languages. So there's a whole bunch of different barriers that go around. Um, I've been taught, there's been trash talk all over the place. I've been trash talked in Bulgaria. I've been trash talked when I was playing out in Poland one time. And there's, you know, there's, there's, there's Americans on each team too. Okay. So. You might get your battle with some american and you guys are talking trash like you guys are back at, back in the gym where you're from so yeah it's, it's a there's a variety of trash talking you might get cussed out in a different language and you don't even know what's going on so <laughs> I, I think it, the variety of trash talking it happens in different it comes in you got different flavors over here
1: yeah and this is kind of a weird question but do you have maybe a favorite uh team or a favorite like language to be t- trash talk by
0: well now i mean i'm doing i'm doing most of the trash talking if oh, i had you are, to say okay. yeah i'm one of the trash talkers <laughs> out there i've been calm over as of late just because i'm in a new league and a new team and everything like that but when i was playing in portugal i was one of the top trash talkers out there uh, but I, now that I'm, you know, you pick up the language in Portuguese and you learn some Spanish yeah. and, uh, you know, that's, that's one of my favorite languages to talking, talk trash in or, you know what I mean? So yeah. even if, if I run into a, a Brazilian player and I know he speaks Portuguese, it's fun to, you know, talk some stuff and say some words that they might understand and it, it's dope. It's dope playing in Europe. man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And what about the crowd, the fans? Can you tell me about how they compare to the US?
0: I would say that like my team right now that I play for, man, it's like these people really like some some of these cities are so small. This isn't a, a Los Angeles where there's plenty of different teams and the the love for the you know the, the basketball team might not be so you know, you got the Clippers and and the Lakers all in one, you know, one vicinity. Mm-hmm. Here, there's own. This might be the only thing. There might be nothing for miles and miles. You know what I mean? Like this might the only thing in the city could be that basketball team.
2: Okay, and, okay. Um,
0: that's where the passion comes from from the fans. Like sometimes this is all they have, and uh, that's where you just see them showing out. You see them when I, even when I played in Portugal, like you see the guy a, a good group of fans. The clubs be so big too, and they're all over Europe. So sometimes you could be in a different country and have support there. So. Um, yeah, I remember seeing guys in France that uh, were supporting us when I played in Portugal. Uh, We went to different places. We went to Belgium a few times and there were some fans supporting us. And uh, it's great to see, man. And the team that I play for now, like every road game that we travel on, it could be a couple hours, we might have to catch a flight. Mm -hmm. We're going to have fans there that support us. And it's just, it's amazing to see, man. It's really amazing.
1: Does sometimes does it feel like it's like an alternate universe, you know, because I I feel like, you know, I've traveled to Europe a few times and I am an American, you know, I, I was born and raised in Alaska. I have traveled throughout the States. So like my frame of reference is the United States. And when I've traveled over to Europe, it kind of feels like a little bit of like bizarro world, even though I know it's not correct. It's just yeah. my perception because of growing up in the U.S. Do you feel like that sometimes?
0: Uh, I would say that I think if I did feel like it, it would be more of like because I've been I've been overseas. This is my seventh year, so majority the last seven years of my life, um, I've been living overseas for ten months out of the year. So, and this, I think that, yeah, this summer I didn't even come back. So I've been gone for almost going on two years out of the States. So when I really look at it now, um, I feel like I'm assimilated to it. So I'm more, I feel more European than I do anything else. You know what I mean? So I'm going to different countries and as I I travel to different countries and see different cultures, like I, I feel lost when I'm in the States.
2: Really? I probably,
0: yeah. I feel like how people feel when they come overseas when I go back to the United States. So um, I know initially though it was it's, it's like the, the the architecture of buildings, um, just hearing people speak different languages all the time, mm-hmm. constantly like you're in that position where you're you're having to like you think it's like working different muscles of your brain because like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no matter what I'm having to double translate everything that comes around when I hear things. So yeah, that it, it's a, it's a it's now it feels regular. I honestly think it feels super regular for me. Like. Um, it doesn't matter, like just even making the jump from Portugal to Spain. It wasn't that crazy for me because I, you know, lived in Portugal for so long and I learned so many different, uh, words in Portuguese and, you know, learning the language there and it kind of helps translate things to Spain, uh, Spanish. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, for me, man, now I think I'm, I'm pretty much like a simulated and I, I, I kind of am European and how I think and how what I expect, I go get my coffees, um, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm taking a little yeah. cafe, a little espresso here and there. And I'm just like really adopted or adapted to the cultures. Yeah. But um, I would say that coming here, it was, it was like a big jump in my career. Um, I was thinking more of what possibly I could uh, achieve, and and what what, what what kind of just like switching the focus for me. So mm-hmm. for me, it was just like I wanted to prove to myself what I can do, and you know the, all the hype. I wanted to see if it was real. I wanted to challenge myself. So yeah. coming over here to the ACB, it was it was one of those moves where you know you just turned thirty. Uh, you know you you're figuring out. You know you had a good season here. You're figuring out this, and you know it's, it's just taking an opportunity and seeing what you can do with it.
1: Yeah. So you're thirty.
0: Yeah,
1: are you one of the older guys on the team?
0: Right now, which is super funny. Yeah, I'm like one of the third, third or fourth oldest guy on the team right now. Okay. Yeah, and that's super interesting to me because I didn't even really think about it. Like, I'm <laughs> usually, you know, I'm not playing. Like, and I'm looking at how young the other guys. I got 20 year olds on my team, 22 year olds on my team. Yeah, my better best players is 24 years old. So it's just like. It's amazing to be in this position, but then like it, it helps me too, like just confidence. Was like, damn, I've I've been around, you know, I've been yeah, around, yeah. and and it's it really helps out as I've continued on this journey, just to know like I've I'm older than these guys, so there's some things that I know that you know that they might not know, they haven't seen. So I just try to do my best to to help in those regards too, like when there's you know maybe talking to the guys, trying to empower and and uh, inspire these guys to want to do more for themselves. It's just just given anything that I learned along my journey, I try to pass it on to these other guys. It's dope to be in this OG status, veteran status, European kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I like that perspective because I grew up snowboarding and traveling around, doing competitions, things like that. And um, the word washed up was always thrown around for you know, old heads and I like your perspective much more where, you know, you're talking about how you're an OG and you can imbue knowledge yeah. um, to the younger players.
0: Yeah, it's for that, 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 that that's, it means, it means a lot doing it too. If I really feel good when I'm giving back information and just like trying to, this cause I can see the same things that I went through in my career them going through and and then even in basketball 30s like you know this is the years these are like your this is when you're supposed to have your you know be on your best stuff so it's a different type of uh feel right now and I just I it it was I can say though that like watching these younger players play and the things that they can do it's it's really like it it makes you want to stay in the gym and perfect everything that you can perfect Mm -hmm. because I know there's not going to be like oh they're going to be athletic they're going to be big there's you know, so they're going to be this, they're going to be that, but you have to do what's best. You got to stay in your lane, number one, and then you have to figure out where can you be your best and how do you be your best. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been something for me that I've just been like trying to trademark. What am I good at? What can I bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And, you know, stay on, stay with that edge.
1: Have you thought about how many more years you think you have in you?
0: Um, right now, I, I, I was... I think I would push it until my body says probably I can't. Okay. You know, I don't like. I don't want to feel. You know, I know basketball has. I've I've really given it like, I don't know how many years. It's, it's probably started playing. I don't know what how many fifteen years. You know, we've been just at it for real, for real, and like. Yeah. I think that um, I'm gonna go and push it until you know the the next thing sets itself up or my body just doesn't feel like or you know when I don't when I just don't feel like I got it anymore. I think Mm -hmm. that, but that problem for me right now, I feel great. So I think that, um, but there's other things too that I like. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just stuck on this. Like if I can find another way to, you know, provide for myself and I provide for my family and it's, it's, you know, it presents itself and it's a beautiful opportunity and I can still save my body. I, you know, that's life. So you never know what really can happen. I would like to play basketball um, until I set myself up, you know, financially and and as my next career path so as we get to that i think um that could next you know seven years eight years could keep it going yeah yeah i know so i've played with some guys that were been 38 years old still playing very well you know yeah so it's uh it's an interesting it's all about kind of how you keep your body how you keep it what's going on and um just situational for me
1: yeah and do you have any aspirations of playing in the Olympics?
0: Um, so right now, I currently play for the Portuguese national team. So as an american with with our with our USA team being so stacked and packed up and having the best players in the world, it's merely impossible to get on that team. But I've been blessed to have the opportunity to play for the Portuguese national team. So I play with them throughout the the Olympic trials type of a deal because there's different levels, there's different um, tiers and levels that certain countries get, you know, get to be a part of. So
2: yeah, it
0: would be a dream to take the Portuguese national team to qualify for some sort of Olympic trials and, you know, get to head against the best of the best in the world. I think that's, that's something that I look forward to, and it's been great competing with them. I've competed against some, some high level players, and it's been very, very honoring and um, yeah, I'm just truly thankful for that that experience. We travel um, typically a uh, couple times a year. Uh, we'll leave again in February and go play some games. Probably be for two weeks, playing with them, competing against some other countries. And then um, we also will do something in the summers as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so that's it's that's been one of my biggest things that I love for sure.
1: So you're entering your seventh season now. So far, what season holds the most memories for you?
0: Oh, man, it had to be the one that happened right after COVID. Okay. Um, It was, you know, a very, very interesting time that was going on in the world. You know, very interesting time that was going on in people's lives all across the world. And um, I was fortunate enough to have um, one of my best friends that I played basketball with in college, I was able to connect him with a job on my team in Portugal and uh, we lived together, we had an apartment and uh, we were able to compete and we won a lot of things that year and then we ended up winning the the entire championship of that that season. And I just think that it was a super special year for me cause you know, just growing as a person. And then it was like our friendship grew and then you know my brother, he didn't even win anything his whole career. And he's one mm-hmm. of the hardest working players I've ever been around. And, that's just kind of how the game goes sometimes. Like a lot of guys play basketball, but not a lot of people win the championships. And I think it was super special. That team that we had was a real good group, super special. And um, I just think that uh, that year was different, you know, COVID just happened. People were Mm -hmm. getting uh, COVID tested every single game, damn near, and like, We were traveling, doing things like that, and it was just, yeah, it was a real special, and there was no fans in the stands either, so Mm -hmm. you had to really compete and play basketball, and I think that was one of my most special years for sure.
1: So if you're in a situation where you can talk to a kid in Alaska who's interested in pursuing a career in basketball, what do you tell them it takes?
0: Wow. I would tell them it takes you can't quit, man, if you're gonna, you, you have to really believe in yourself. But before you kind of believe in yourself, believe in the work that you're putting in, be smart, be be do your due diligence, man, be vigilant about this stuff, like, and don't don't look in the mirror and, and be honest with yourself, man. And I think that 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 solves a lot. And just don't quit. Keep going, try to find ways to get better Be, And be, be a sponge to this stuff, man. It's not you know, it's like, I think a lot of people get discouraged, and they just shoot themselves out of their dreams. Mm -hmm. And like, you never know what, just shoot for something, because you never know what it could lean, you know, what it could bring you. So I look at myself, and I just, I didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. I wasn't scared of it. You know, Mm -hmm. I was, I was really, I just always kind of was myself. And I I think that that just kind of paved the way for everything to happen and i the way you play the game the way have passion about the way you play the game you know and, and go out there and put it all on the floor and give it you know if, if that's if that's what you have to do mm-hmm. if you're super talented you know you got the talent keep working on your talent stay in the gym and and find other ways to continue to improve yeah and this stuff can man it can change your whole life you can really you know and don't just don't back down either i tell all my alaskans man don't back down every, you know, every moment, every little opportunity you can take. I took an opportunity for $300, man. And, um, I just think that that's like, yo, that's, that says it all right there. I took it every, all the things that I've done in my career, i I had to take risk. Yeah. They didn't, I didn't even know they were risk at the time. I didn't look at them as risk. I just looked at them as an opportunity to further anything that I can do. And, um, Some people get discouraged. Some people don't necessarily believe they're going to you know, there's a lot of people that might not believe in you. I know there was sometimes even my family maybe didn't believe in what I was actually doing or what it could be. And there was moments I probably didn't even believe, but I think if you just kind of keep that focus and you don't quit and you don't try to talk yourself out of it, I think something's open at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it can happen. And even if it didn't, if it doesn't work out how you think it is, like you're going to be, you know, you're going to feel better as a person yeah. to a certain extent once you put yourself through those trials and tribulations. And just don't be afraid of that work either, man. It, it's only going to hurt for a little bit type stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. you can't be scared to go work and, you know, be too, you know, you get your fingers dirty. You don't want to do it. Like you got to be able to work. And I think that that's, that's what I would tell them. Don't be scared of the work. Cause if you're going to be scared of the work, you're going to be scared of the, the rewards at the end of it.
1: There's this story I heard about you on another podcast where when you were working at 24 hour fitness and you were playing basketball on your lunch break, I think I remember, and you were basically scouted. What is that story?
0: Well, it sounds exactly how you wrote it. So it's (laughs) funny, like it's funny before I even, um, before I got the job at 24 hour fitness, I was working at Jack in the box. And I was there for like a month and I was loving Jack in the box, which was so crazy. I was, I was like, I felt like I was one of the best workers there, but I always wanted to work at 24 hour fitness because, you know, I was, I was in junior college at the time and I was, you know, I was an athlete and I just wanted to be around that fitness lifestyle. So I finally got the job at 24 hour fitness and I was probably working there for like two to three weeks. And, um, when I was there one day I was on a lunch break, uh, I just seen some guys in there and they were just running the court. They were just killing everybody. And I was like, damn, like, there's no way I can just let this go down. So <laughs> okay. on my on my lunch break, I literally go out there and I just start giving it to them. Just killing them. Boom, 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 boom. And um, what happens after that, there's a young boy in there working out with his dad. And after that, I got done playing. His dad came up to me and he was a... He was like a friend or like a scout to this uh, San Francisco city uh, junior college. And it was like the best, one of the best junior colleges for basketball in the in the state of California. Mm-hmm. They just had recently won a championship. They had some NBA players play for them. So it was one, it was like a real good school. And um, the guy just told me, he said, like, man, I like your game. I think you got something going on. He's like, you know, I'm gonna put to give me your number and I'm gonna put you in contact with some people that's over here and maybe you can come get a workout in and see what's up, see what you got. And I'm like, all right, man, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So I that happened and I waited probably like four or five months until their season ended. No, they invited me to a basketball game and I came and watched the game and uh, it was cool. I, I liked the game, I talked to the coach and then they told me, okay, wait another two months and you know, just be ready when we call you. And then, so they called me and I go there for an open gym I go out there, I play, it's so funny. I remember getting so prepped for this. I want to have my shoes on, I have a, a nice shirt. I was ready to go play. I went there, mm-hmm. I played in San Francisco. And you know, two weeks later, I enrolled in school there. They, they, they liked me so much. They said they said that I can come play for them. And this is the like for the, for the school that I was at previously, this is like going to, to Harvard. You know what I mean? So okay. like, this okay. was the best school. So when I got recruited to go play there, that was pretty dope. And that ended up leading me into getting, you know, we went, I think we lost one game that season. And we ended up we didn't make we almost we all we were supposed to make it to the finals and win the championship, but we lost in the semifinals. Mm. But that season I ended up uh that's when I got my scholarship to go play in Colorado um from playing with them.
1: Oh that man, that's great. That that is so awesome. Yeah. How often do you think these serendipitous encounters have happened to you? And what do you think of them?
0: I um, this I think this is what fuels my belief in just everything I do, and kind of keeps me just on my toes, and I kind of keeps me just. I just don't know what can happen. Like I don't. We could be having this conversation right now, and then something I, you know, I get another, and then another connection happens, and then boom, I'm I'm doing something completely different than what I was, and mm-hmm. I just it gives me just pure belief in my career, what can happen in my life, just life in general. I just have hope. Mm-hmm. I'm not even like it's not even a weary hope either it's like i i just believe that things are like good things are going to happen to me because they have been consistently doing it And i can't if i explained to you all my stories that happened in my life it's just like wow like that's why i like doing like interviews and podcasts and stuff like that because mm-hmm. once i tell my story over it's like oh my like i and then when i tell other people they're like whoa and i kind of don't really some days I I forget to appreciate this crazy story that I'm living and once I take it all in I'm just like whoa dude you got to <laughs> you got to appreciate this I should wake up with a smile every single day and this is like it goes into that what we said earlier about I'm not even supposed to be here based on how it worked out and I think that I'm supposed to be here but just the the story is just so out of this world that I don't, it's not your, your, your conventional story. So, mm-hmm. and I just think that's, that just fills me, man. All these like random encounters that I, so many times I've played basketball in this gym and that gym. And I met this person and it just goes full circle. Now I'm starting to see guys that I've met before where I'm at now. And it's just interesting. Like I'm getting known, like I'm knowing players that I'm playing against. Yeah. They're finding me, they're seeing me, we're connecting and it's, it's just a small world in this basketball community, especially overseas. You're like one person away from everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well Trevante, those are all the questions I have for you. I wanna thank you for talking with me about the hard things in your life as well as the successes you've had. Do you have anything else you'd like to add?
0: Um, I would like to say that I am Extremely thankful for this uh, interview, and uh, I really like the fact that you were able to touch on some, especially about my grandmother, and that really helped me out. And I'm just appreciative of this this opportunity just because I feel like this wasn't like my regular, you know, regular interview podcast type of a deal. This was, this was dope, and I really like what you got going on, and um, I want people to be inspired, and I want them to feel that way, and I want to push this push this as far as I can, especially for my family, because my story is very nice. But to understand my story, you hear their stories and you're like, wow, this came from that. It's like a concrete rose, man. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's beautiful. And I'm just appreciative of this opportunity.
1: For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit AnchorageMuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermarks music is produced by Keys Open Doors.